On today's episode of the Harrison Vatnick Podcast, we're bringing on one of my favorite young people in the whole sports media industry, Drew Carter, down in CBS 42, down in Birmingham, Alabama. Going to be talking a lot of things, Alabama and Auburn football, his daily routines, his time at Syracuse, where he won the 2019 Jim and Answer Award. Talk about his college experiences and that, and a lot more. A really fun interview with a great person, Drew Carter. So sit back, relax, and, and enjoy the interview with Drew Carter, starting right now. Now welcome on Drew Carter, originally from Plymouth, Minnesota, sports anchor and reporter for CBS 42 down in Birmingham, Alabama, the 2019 Jim Nance Award winner. You can follow him on Twitter at DrewDLE25. Drew, welcome on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Harrison. This is certainly a pleasure. Um, and for those who don't understand my Twitter handle, I feel like I should just explain it. Thank you for spelling it out so people might actually be able to find me on Twitter. Um, that I guess phonetically is Drudel, which is a nickname my sister gave me when I was probably in like elementary school. And so when I was making my Twitter, I was in middle school and I was like, well, Drew Carter is about as basic as it gets. So I'm gonna have difficulty finding a Twitter handle. Rolled with Drudel, I've stuck with it ever since. It's kind of a point of pride for me to be able to be a professional with that Twitter handle. Cause like everyone told me I couldn't do that. Um, I'm probably gonna have to change it eventually but it is Drudel25. Thank you for spelling it out, Harrison. So you went from Minnesota to Syracuse to Alabama. We'll go through your whole career. But in terms of weather, you must be living your best life right now, going from <laughs> probably one of two of the coldest states to now a pretty warm one. Yes. Uh, the weather in Minnesota and Syracuse, like I would say on the Mount Rushmore of worst weather places to be in America. It was actually funny. I was with Speaking of my sister, she gets her second shout out already, just a couple minutes here. All right. We hiked Mount Washington, which is up in the Northeast. And at the, top of the, at the top of the mountain, there's a sign that says worst weather in the world, Mount Washington. And so I posted on Instagram, I said, worst weather in the world, agree to disagree, hashtag Cuse. Because I do think Cuse has the worst weather. You get that lake effect snow, which is just, it's terrible, it's miserable. And the worst part is when like it's spring break and you're stuck in Syracuse, you know, working Syracuse basketball games and doing some lacrosse stuff. And then you see all your friends are on spring break, like in Cabo. It's just, it, there's a lot of FOMO going on there. So I do think Syracuse has the worst weather, but someone commented on my Instagram and said, agree to disagree, hashtag Plymouth, because Plymouth also has pretty bad weather. So yes, it's, it's nice to be in Birmingham. We had like 73 and sunny the past two days um we do have basically snow days everything shuts down if there's even snow in the forecast like no one even has to see a flake if there's snow in the forecast bang every business is shut down like burger king closes like nothing is going on um so that's a down but we don't have to worry about that very often which is good so i'm coming from south florida this is the first time i've really been away for school and now we had the polar vortex here the last couple weeks. It was like negative 24 degrees. And back in my hometown of Boca, it's like 76. It's like a hundred degree difference between the two, which is, but it's starting to warm up here back in the, back in the forties. But, you know, I guess it seems a lot nicer down in Alabama. We'll go through your career backwards. We'll start with right now, last couple of years down at CBS 42, you've been covering Alabama and Auburn football, which there's no NFL team in Alabama, but basically those two schools are as close as you're going to get 
tell me what it's been like covering, you know, Alabama and Auburn the last few years. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. And, and that's really what, what brought me down here. Um, just to give you an idea of how I, I got this job. When I graduated in the summer of 2019, I was kind of planning to just take it easy uh, because I hadn't really done that for a summer since, since high school. You know, I was working with baseball teams every summer in college. And so I was ready to just chill for a little bit. But then I got super lucky, man. I got an email from our news director who kind of, you know, runs the newsroom and also hire sports people. And he said, hey, we've got a sports position opening. And, uh, you know, we'd love to talk to you if you're interested. And so immediately I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to do local news. I want to do play by play. Um, Birmingham, Alabama. Where is that? I have never been to Alabama for more than like three days when I went to Gulf Shores on a trip and the beaches are beautiful down there. But I was like, I'm not going to live in Alabama. Come on. Um, so I was about ready to trash the email, but then I, I actually read a little more and he was like, you know, we're a top 50 market. We cover Alabama and Auburn football mostly like that's our busiest time of the year. And I was like, well, you know, even though I'm from Minnesota, I know a decent amount about Auburn and Alabama because like who doesn't? If you're a college football fan, I mean, those are two of the programs, especially Alabama. And like my favorite college football moment ever, I remember watching the kick six with my dad. And, you know, we were a thousand miles away in Minnesota, but it was still so cool to watch. So all that to say, like when I realized that I'd be covering Auburn and Alabama, that made it real for me. That made me really want to do it. Um, it, it's, it's lived up to the hype, dude. You know, the first game I covered was Auburn, Oregon in Dallas at Jerry World, which is like, as everyone knows, a palace. The, the Justin Herbert game. Yes. We're, well, I mean, we call it the Bo Nix game, I think, because yeah. he, he actually won the game. Uh, but yes, in that moment, I definitely thought that Justin Herbert was going to be a bust in the NFL. So 0 for 1 on that, uh, on that evaluation. But yeah, so we, we covered that game and that was three weeks into my professional career. And I was looking around at this stadium and, you know, probably 80,000 people in there. The game's on ESPN. Fowler and Herb Street did it. Uh, it's just, it was surreal. I was like, how did I get so blessed to be in this position? And it really, it has not worn off. Um, and that's, that's been really cool. Like we did the Iron Bowl last year and it was one of the best games I've ever seen in person. So it was super cool to cover. And um, I should say the Iron Bowl 2019, my first Iron Bowl. This past year's Iron Bowl was not good. because not, not Auburn, close. That was a complete bloodbath. But I got to say this about the 2019 Iron Bowl. I actually, and I shouldn't be revealing this, but I was sort of rooting for Auburn because, because I had already agreed to do play-by-play -play for a basketball game on December 29th, 2019. And Alabama would have played December 28th in the playoff. I think I have my dates right there. And so if Alabama had won the Iron Bowl, they probably would have made the playoff and I would have been totally screwed. So Auburn scoring 48 points really saved my bacon. Not only was it an incredible game, an amazing atmosphere, but also the team I was secretly sort of rooting for ended up winning. So experiences like that are common in this job. I'm very lucky to be here. So that obviously worked out that well. That was a 48-45 win for Auburn in the yeah. Iron Bowl. Tell us about some of like your daily routine, some of your daily job with CBS 42. You're anchoring, you're reporting, you're shooting. Take me through kind of a day in the life of Drew Carter right now. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely different during football season. We we call it 
football season and the off season, even though we yeah. obviously aren't on the teams, it basically is the off season for us. So during football season, most of our week is devoted to uh, putting together content for our Saturday shows. So we have three and a half hours of programming every Saturday during football season. We go 12 to two with our pregame show, which leads right into the CBS national pregame show because we've got the SEC game of the week. Then we have six to seven, our post-game show, where we run some press conference sound and kind of recap the game. And then we go 10.30 to 11 in our <clears throat> wrap-up show. Excuse me, sorry, I just had okay. a bunch of honey bunches of oats. <laughs> um, our wrap-up show is from 10.30 to 11. So it's a lot of content. So we spend most of the week putting stuff together for that. Um, in the off-season, you know, day-to-day, -day, it really isn't the same week to week, which is kind of one of the things I love about the job. It's never going to be boring because, you know, on a, a Monday, I could be up at seven driving to Jacksonville, Alabama, which is what I did this week, covering uh, high school hoops, elite eights. And then on a different Monday, I could be not starting to work until two, anchoring the sports blocks and the news shows. So it's really, you know, it's hard to say on a day to day basis. It's it's some anchoring. It's some reporting, it's some just shooting video, but it kind of varies, which I think is good. That's that's what I like to do. Yeah, and so you mentioned you do press conferences, stuff like that. I know it's only been two years and one of them's a COVID year, but do you have a Nick Saban story? Have you had any interaction with Coach Saban that's worth any interest or any excitement? I'm really hoping you do. Yeah, Harrison, I'm glad you asked. I do, I do. Okay. Um, and I, I'm glad I do because basically everyone asks me that, you know, oh, okay. anyone who not just like on podcasts, just in conversation, like <clears throat> what's it like covering Nick Saban? What do you got? So my first year here before they played Tennessee, the previous week they had played Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. So stick with me here. This all, there's a point to all this. So at this point, basically every, <clears throat> every SEC team is coached by a former uh, Saban assistant, right? I mean, I think like half the conference has former Saban assistants as head coach. So they had just played Texas A&M, coached by Jimbo Fisher, former Saban assistant at LSU. And my coworker, Simone Eli, our other sports reporter and anchor, had asked Saban, what's your favorite Jimbo Fisher memory from when you were on the same staff? And he, instead of saying anything football related, said, my favorite memory is playing noontime basketball with Jimbo Fisher. He was pretty good. He was always on my team and he could talk some stuff too. And he didn't learn that from me. Okay, so fast forward. The following week, they're playing Tennessee, who at the time was coached by Jeremy Pruitt. Rest in peace to his coaching career. He's no longer at Tennessee. Probably won't be anywhere for a little bit. Yeah, I doubt that. Yeah, so, so I ask him, I asked Saban, did you ever play noontime basketball with Jeremy Pruitt? But the backstory there is I was, it was the first time I'd ever asked Saban a question and my heart was pounding, bro. Like I, I had never <laughs> been more nervous for anything in my career. I don't think I have been since. Like I was literally sweating because the way Alabama ran their pressers before COVID was, you know, everyone was in the same room. You've got the beat writers in the first few rows. Imagine a classroom with Saban at the podium, beat writers in the first few rows. Then in the back, you've got the TV people. And so you kind of have to yell your question. They give you a microphone, but like, it's just nerve wracking because you raise your hand, the microphone comes over, everyone's like looking at you, where's the microphone going? And everyone's gonna judge you because you know you can only get like seven or eight questions for Saban. Yeah. You better not blow it. Because sometimes so he's taking two minutes to give an answer. Exactly, and sometimes he's roasting you too. So <laughs> I'm 
I'm nervous. My heart is pounding. I get the mic, like my hands are sweating. I can literally see my heart beating through my shirt. And I basically mumble the question. I'm like, you're playing noontime basketball with Jeremy Pruitt, like just trying not to screw it up. And Saban, he does the thing that every reporter who's covered him will know this face. He looks over at the SID and he's like, he puts his hands up. He has no idea what I've just said. And that's the scariest thing ever, because that means either A, he didn't hear or B, he thinks the question is stupid. So I'm, I continue to freak out. And luckily, Josh, the SID, he heard me and he told Saban, he relayed the question and Saban actually laughed. It was cool. And he, he, he talked a little bit about Jeremy Pruitt and, you know, the program he's building at Tennessee, whatever. Uh, didn't play noontime basketball, so he did answer my question. But, yes, that's a long way to say I was nervous that I was going to get roasted, but thankfully I did not. Yeah, so you started doing the Nick Saban impression there. You had a video go kind of viral. Viral to the point where it got in my timeline with you interviewing Barstool's uh, Joey Molinaro, with him yep. interviewing Nick Saban doing the whole – I and uh, Miss Terry and the whole, you know, so quit asking. Tell me how you set that up and how you got that whole to happen and the whole idea around that. Well, we had the idea in our sports department. It was actually our producer's idea. Joey came to me and said, also named Joey, not that Joey, other Joey, came to me and said, "Um, this would be great. You know, these these videos always blow up. This guy does the best Saban impression like we've ever seen. Let's let's try to get him. So. Luckily, I have a really good friend uh, from college who works at Barstool, Jake Marsh, who's on the Part of My Take podcast. Yeah, Jake is one of the best dudes in the world. So I know him very well. I hit him up and it was like stunningly easy. Jake was like, yeah, sure. Let me ask him. Five minutes later, I had his phone number. Hit him up. Joey is another awesome dude. Um, He was super accommodating. You know, we actually had technical difficulties trying to set up the Zoom in the studio. And so again, I'm like, we got to figure this out, guys. Like, this dude's a big deal. We, we need to make sure that we have this safe and sound before we start. Um, so it took a while to set it up, but Joey was, like, super chill about everything. He's a good dude, man. And, and the, the impression was ridiculous. Like, he is so talented, and I think that's the best impression he does. He must have watched Saban press conferences for hours and hours and hours. Because he has the terminology uh, down. Yep, he knows but, what he's saying. Exactly. And it's funny, too, because it's not just the impression, Harrison. It's it's like you said, it's what he's saying. I actually think you could just script out his Saban impression and it would still be funny if you were just reading it. Like when he goes back and forth with Coach O when they're snowed in, like, I'm not going to make gumbo. I you keep asking. So just quit asking. It's all it's all so good. And and Joey was great with the way he can kind of like turn it on and off because we asked him a few questions as Saban. And then we kind of asked him a little bit more. This was yeah. in the full story about like how the impression originated. And it was just, it was really good stuff. And he was super cool. And that's one of the best things I think we did this year. So a couple of follow-ups to that. You do a very good save and impression. And the quick, the quick one you just did there, that was, that was impressively good. Thank you. Thank you. And the feedback afterwards, I, I'm not, I'm going to say, and I'm going to live and say, 100% of your audience isn't familiar with Joey's work. What was their reaction to it? What did you hear from the feedback from the people? Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because a lot of Alabama fans, you know, have been Alabama fans since like Bear Bryant was the coach. And I don't think those folks are on Twitter necessarily. Um, So they might have been confused. (laughs) Right. They might have been kind of confused about what was going on. But I think anyone, anyone who's seen Nick Saban speak could appreciate that. And the, the response was 
overwhelmingly positive. Of course, you got a couple of jokers who are like, this impression sucks. Like, I'm so tired of seeing this guy. Yeah. Insane. They just don't know what they're talking about. Like, the impression is phenomenal. Dude, does Saban acknowledge Joey at all? Has he acknowledged the impression at all? I don't think so. Heard? We did. We did ask Joey about that. And I think Saban has seen the videos because Joey, through Twitter, has ended up being friends with Kristen Saban, who is Nick's daughter. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure she has showed it to him at some point. Now, Saban is not on social media. and He makes that very clear. Uh, Simone actually asked him about that last year. And he was like, I feel sorry for people who are looking at their phones eyed and they, someone gets shot across the street and they don't even know because, you know, they're looking down at their phone. I feel sorry for those people. I, but he's not, he's never seen it himself, but Kristen might've showed him because she really likes the video. So I think at some point, those two guys are probably going to meet just through Kristen. And, and Joey said, I hope he's never seen them because that would be embarrassing for him. And like, you know, I mean, you don't want to show up Nick Saban. He's the greatest of all time. I don't, at halftime of the Cotton Bowl this year, though, the Rose Bowl at the Cotton Bowl, whatever that was, against the Notre at the end of the half, I think something happened in the Notre kicked the field goal. Saban clearly wasn't having it, and yeah. the headset wasn't working, and Joey had a video on, like, mm -hmm. like re recreating the moment within 10 minutes was of the incident. It was outstanding. <laughs> so back to Saban, kind of. Yeah. This year's Alabama team, I'm going to ask you the stereotypical sports talk radio podcast question. Where does this Alabama, 2020 Alabama, the team that ran the table, destroy everyone in their path except for Florida and Ohio State in the national championship game? Where do they rank among all-time college football teams? Well, Harrison, I'm going to amend that statement because they did destroy Ohio State in the championship. Yeah. Don't, don't you forget that. They murdered them. And the Florida game was competitive, I guess, down the stretch, but Alabama was better. For the full 60 and and i think it wasn't quite as close as the final score would indicate now florida again had a chance at the end but alabama was clearly better you know it's interesting you asked me that question because if you had asked me that after like week nine i would have said this is the best team i've ever seen you know even better than because but coming into the year i would have said lsu from the previous year i mean that team was insane but i thought that alabama's defense this past year was better than 2019 LSU's until they played Florida and they gave up a 45 piece. I was, I mean, it, cause they had played sec teams and their defense had really started to figure it out, you know, over the past few years, really over the past two years, the Saban defense hasn't really been the Saban defense that you think of, you know, like, like we were talking about, you know, when I was growing up watching Alabama, they like, no one scored on them. They, they literally averaged like eight points per game allowed. And the team is just different. I mean, the sport is different. You know, more teams are running, spread it out, air it out type systems. And it's just different. And it works for Alabama. They're still winning. It's just their defense isn't quite as good as it used to be. Um, but I thought that this past year's team had combined a vintage Saban defense with that type of air raid offense. But, you know, I don't know. After they gave up that many points to Florida, I sort of backtracked on that. But after what they did in the playoff, man, I mean – you look at the individual awards that this team won. They swept across the board. I mean, Jones is the best quarterback. Smith is the best player. Harris is the best running back. They had the best offensive line. The defense, I mean, it wasn't quite as good as I thought, but they're still loaded. Like, they had two linebackers who are going to get drafted, Moses and Harris. They had probably two defensive linemen who will get drafted. 
Sertan was an eraser. Like you, he just took Olave out of the championship game. You know, just no one throws at that guy. So yeah, I mean, I think if if 2020 Bama and 2019 LSU played, I think it'd be obviously an amazing matchup. It would probably be like 73 to 70 at the end of the game. But because I'm biased and I covered Alabama the entire season, I would give them the slight, slight edge. Well, you weren't too far off from the meeting in 2019, the thrilling 46-41 game uh, down in Alabama. Let's give a little love to the other team to cover Auburn. They recently just hired a new uh, head coach, uh, Bryant Harson from Boise State, 76 wins there, three Mountain West championships. Uh, what are your thoughts on that hiring and then the direction that Auburn is heading? Yeah, man, it's interesting because I, I sort of have two conflicting viewpoints on, on Brian Harson and let's go bad news, good news. I'll, I'll start with the bad news. And again, like, what do I know? This is just my opinion. But in my opinion, you know, Harrison, if I gave you the keys to a Porsche, I would hope you'd be able to drive that thing pretty well. Right. So Brian Harson, his record at Boise State, really impressive, won almost 80% of his games. But if you look at Boise State's history, Chris Peterson is one of the best coaches ever, like not being hyperbolic ever. That guy, what he built at Boise State was incredible. I mean, we all remember when they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Every year, if Boise State lost a game, it was a lost season. Like that's what we're talking about with that program. So for Harson to come in and lose two or three games every year, yeah, it's impressive records, but I would hope he would maintain that level of success at Boise State if he's good enough to be a Power 5 head coach in the SEC at a, a place like Auburn. So I'm a little skeptical of the record. Flip side of that is I hope he succeeds. My job is more fun when Auburn is also good along with Alabama. And, you know, he's really injected some new life into that program. You know, Twitter interactions don't translate to wins as Nick Saban has proved. Yeah. But he, I do think that there's something to the idea that you can sort of get a sense of the energy around a program based on social media. And what he's done has been really impressive. You know, he's actually, he was like second among college football coaches and Twitter interactions, obviously behind Lane Kiffin who like doubled up the rest of the field. I think he's but, like, well, the outlier. I mean, he, he is the king of Twitter. And again, obviously that doesn't translate directly to wins, but I do think that there is a new type of excitement around the program. That's really positive. He was in a really tough spot recruiting wise this past year, really tough spot. And, and, if you look at the recruiting rankings, Auburn really suffered. You know, that, that's a program that should be sniffing the top 10 every year based on its history and facilities and location. They were, I think, outside the top 30 this year. But he did pick up a couple big wins, you know, down the stretch of the recruiting cycle. And I think that there's enough energy there where recruiting is going to pick back up in the next few years. And we'll see how he does. I, I really hope he succeeds, man. Yep, there's definitely a good chance of that. Let's segue to your colleges at Syracuse, you guys mentioned the intro, the 2019 Jim Nance Award winner. How often does that get brought up to you? <laughs> well, Harrison, you brought it up within like 30 seconds of me hopping on this call. It's, it's, uh, a, big, it's a big thing. <laughs> yeah, um, people do mention that a lot, but again, I, you know, I've just been very lucky, dude. Like the, the fact that that award happened my senior year it, I mean, honestly, it changed my life. Like, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I'm pretty sure I got this job down here because our news director saw my Nance Award reel. Um, and, and what that does is leaving college, it gives you a little clout, I guess, in the broadcasting industry, which I mean, you otherwise wouldn't have. Like, I went to 
the best, and don't get it twist, twisted, the best journalism school in America. We'll go into more of that later. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but, you know, all seriousness, man, like Mizzou is obviously an incredible school as well. You're going to have amazing opportunities there like I did at Cuse. But it's, you know, it's one thing to be college broadcaster guy. It's another thing to be awarded broadcaster. You know what I mean? So that, that, that definitely, it changed things up. And again, I just felt super lucky to win it. You know, they've been amazing to me with STAA and they, they asked me to do stuff for them all the time on their social media, which I'm more than, more than willing to do. Cause you know, they, they really did. They changed my life. And so I can't thank them enough for that. So it's not like you came out of nowhere. And the year before 2018, you came in 10th, one spot behind the guy you mentioned earlier, Jake Marsh. Yeah. Is there anything you did differently or is there a, a jump that you made to improve that moved you from 10 to one? Well, I think, and this might sound counterintuitive, but what I did my senior year is I didn't worry about it. I wasn't thinking about the Nance reel every time I went on the air. And if, if people ever ask me for advice for college broadcasters, I tell them this, when you go on the air, don't think about the reel. And it's easier said than done because, you know, especially at a place like Mizzou where it's very competitive, you know, you can think, all right, I have a chance now to put something on my reel. I better deliver. Uh, because I don't know the next time I'll call a game or host a show or, you know, do a radio show, whatever it might be. Um, but the less you focus on the real, I think the better the real is going to be. Um, it will almost happen through osmosis, because if you're focused on yourself and focused on the real, focused on, hey, how can I make Drew Carter look good today? How can I make Harrison look good today? You know what I'm saying? It's like that doesn't that that's not what people want to see. You want to consider the listener, consider the viewer. Um, and so that's, that's my biggest piece of advice, I would say. And, and notice how it's, it's singular, not plural. It's consider the listener or the viewer because you want to make it personal. You want to make it a, an intimate experience for the, for the viewer. Like, hey, we're just talking here. We're just talking sports and this is cool and we're having fun. I'm going to try to teach you something. I'm going to try to put a smile on your face every time. So I think that's kind of what changed for me junior to senior year as I, I sort of woke up and realized that broadcasting isn't about the real it's about the viewer. It's about the listener. I think that really helped. And then, you know, but along those same lines, I mean, I, I was just very fortunate to do a bunch of different things my senior year. Like I, you know, a bunch of different opportunities kind of fell into my lap and called, I think, nine or 10 different sports, you know, got a chance to host a rowing broadcast, got to do all this amazing stuff with ACC Network, which, you know, people a few years who had graduated a few years before I did, didn't get a chance to do. So it's just, I had very good timing and I had people looking out for me who made it possible for me to do all that stuff. Yep. And did you get to talk to Nance at all afterwards? I did. I did. Okay. He called me. So we set it up through his assistant and he called me from a restricted number. So I don't think he wants anyone getting his number anymore. And I think he oh, yeah. started doing that a couple of years ago because I do know people who have won the award before do have his phone number, but I don't. So I think, Maybe he saw like, oh, this kid Drew Carter, this guy seems like a real clown. I don't want him to have my number, that's for sure. Uh, but yes, I did speak to him on the phone. And, you know, Jim Nance on the phone is Jim Nance on the TV. Like, it's the same guy. It's not an act. He is, he's a phenomenal dude. And he was very, very kind to me. So yeah, I really appreciated that. Yeah, so I actually got to talk to Nance once, ironically, in your home state of Minnesota. I was up there for the 2019 final four as part of a nice. u.s writers basketball association thing we got to cover uh, the media day and the final four friday and he was down there with grant hill and 
whoever else was on the call for the game for CBS, and they were doing Bill Raftery, right? Bill, Bill Raftery, that's who it was. The name left behind, and, uh, and uh, Tracy Wolfson, they were all down yeah. there talking. And like, I was like, they were sitting there at the broadcast table, and I was just kind of like, I'm like, I didn't come all this way to meet everyone and not meet Jim Nance. So I was just kind of yeah. waiting behind. Eventually, he had a, like, a second to break, and I come up to him, like, like, Jim, like, such a big fan of yours. Like, thank you for being such an inspiration. And like, he kind of like pauses me and shakes my hand. And, and like, as if like someone was hitting, you know, the, the tee shot at the Masters says, and Harrison, I'm a fan of yours now. In just the perfect Jim Nance voice, as if it was like script. And I'm like, I've peaked at this moment. <laughs> Dude, he's, he really is an amazing human being. And I think that's, that's a great story, Harrison. And it, it kind of goes back to one of my philosophies about broadcasting, which is shoot your shot. You yeah. know, you always, it's, what's the worst that could happen in that moment? He's busy and he just kind of is like, hey, hey, what's up? And moves on. Like yeah. that's, honestly, that's the worst that could happen. But instead you made a real connection out of it. You got a story with Jim Nance, who's like one there of the kings go. of broadcasting. That's super cool. And it also, it's not just shoot your shot, but it's also, I think you're going to find in this industry, the really, really successful people are just good human beings. Because if you're like a, if you're like a dick, and I don't know if I can say that, whatever, this is a podcast. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. All right, if you're a dick, I think there's a ceiling to how high you can go. Because so much of the industry is networking and you know it's, it's kind of a small world. So if you don't treat people the right way, first of all, it's just the wrong thing to do. But it's also, it's going to get back to someone who might've been able to give you that next opportunity. So if you meet someone who's really climbed the ladder like Nance, there's a reason for that, aside from the fact that he's like an amazing broadcaster, yeah. but he's also just an A plus dude. And I think most of the people you meet in his position are the same type of way. Yeah, and so ACC Network, your senior in Syracuse, they sent you down to Miami for the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Atlanta. Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta for Super Bowl 53. Yeah. How was that experience? That's something not a lot of people get to have. I know, dude. Again, just ridiculous, like, blessings. I felt like Chance the Rapper in that one song from, uh, from Coloring Books. Blessings kept falling into my lap senior year. Blessings blessings. It really, it really was incredible. Um, I, I didn't even organize that. My buddy Jonah, who was a year younger than me at Syracuse, he organized that with Dennis Denninger, our professor, who worked at ESPN for 25 years and just knows everyone. So they kind of set that up. And, yeah, we flew down to Atlanta. We stayed with a, a Syracuse alum. Who lived in Alpharetta, which is a little north of Atlanta. And I mean, basically got to be Super Bowl media hacks for a week. It was incredible. You know, we, we did a show every day. We went to media day, you know, saw PFT commenter trying to you know, stir the pot a little bit on media day. Um, asked Matthew Slater a few questions. Got to do a cool okay. story on him because he played at UCLA when Dino Babers, who is yeah, Syracuse. Coach at Syracuse. Right. He was, he was the special teams coach at UCLA back then. Matthew Slater's just a super interesting dude as well. Like his dad was a Hall of Fame left Sam tackle. Slater. Yeah, he he played for the Rams, which was who the Patriots were playing in that game. And he also had like this weird voodoo magic with the coin toss because Matthew Slater's a captain and he had hit like 13 in a row heading into the Super Bowl. So I was like, this is a really cool story. And it was just uh, very surreal to be at Media Day asking New England Patriots questions before the Super Bowl. Very cool. Yeah, and... So back to the, some of the things that you learned at Syracuse that you argue is the best journalism school in the world. Some of the key things you learned there early on that really built your foundation of sportscasting that you could talk about. Well, it's interesting because I, I went to Syracuse and I wanted to be a writer. 
So I think one of the things I learned early is never say no to an opportunity. The way I ended up trying broadcasting was I was actually outside Dennis Denninger's office. Randomly, my random freshman year roommate, Dennis Denninger, at his wedding, Kyle, my roommate, his mom had been the flower girl. Okay. So connecting the dots there. Yep. Basically, my roommate knew DD. So he you know, introduced me because I was like, I need to be in the sports media industry and this is a great guy to meet. So I was outside his office, ended up meeting the uh, sports director of our student radio station, WAER. So Jay Alter was a guy who was very nice to me, said, come to our general interest meeting. Basically, from that point, like, I was in broadcasting and I didn't, I mean, I still love writing, but that was kind of what my focus was after that. So I think that was huge for me is just learning to never say no to an opportunity uh, because, you know, you never know where something can lead. And I also think, you know, along those same lines, I learned that everything in broadcasting is related. So if you want to be a play-by-play guy, you're going to learn a lot from reporting and anchoring that will help you in play-by-play. Creativity, making something out of nothing, finding interesting stories, vice versa, play-by-play going to reporting slash anchoring slash hosting, whatever, you learn how to ad lib. You go off the cuff, fill time, learn, like get involved with the team and uh, build relationships within that locker room, clubhouse, whatever it is. So I I learned those two things, like never say no and everything will help you in a different respect. And that was really crucial at Syracuse where everyone wants to be on the air. Um, Everyone wants to be the next true quarter. Well, I don't know about that, but everyone wants to be the next, you know, Tariko, McDonough, Eagle, the, the list goes on and on, which is why it's the, the greatest school in, in sports broadcasting. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I learned those two things and then I ended up again, just getting very fortunate with the opportunities and tried to make the most of them. Are there any, you mentioned you called for 20 different sports, you did rowing, you did ACC network hosted your own show, any one specific game or project that kind of stands out that's like, that's my best memory at Syracuse. Yeah, I would say Syracuse at Duke, January 14th, 2019. Remember it like it was yesterday, yep. dude. Uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium. Win. Yeah, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Cameron Indoor Stadium. Go down there with Noah Eagle, who okay. is very successful and yes. still one of my best friends in the world. I feel very fortunate for that. Uh, we go down to Cameron together. I had been to Cameron for a tour, but never for a game. Um, it was absolutely insane. They, I think it was, you know, capacity, obviously, you know, Sean McDonough, Jay Billis on the call for ESPN up in the nest at Cameron, yeah. uh, Kevin Kugler, Eric Montrose on the call for Westwood right next to us. And the game was amazing, but going into it, you know, for, for WAER, we split the halves. So one person calls the first, one person yeah. calls the second. And Noah had asked me which half I want to do, because on the previous game we had called together Florida State, I had given him the option. And he had taken the second half against FSU. So he was like, all right, only fair. Which one do you want, first or second? And I was like, dude, we're not that good. They have Zion, RJ, and Cam Reddish. We're going to get spanked. Let me take the first half so it's not a blowout by the time I'm doing play-by-play. So I take the first half. I thought I was going to be right. Uh, Duke goes on like an 11-0 run to start the game. Place is jumping. I'm like, dude, I told you we suck and Duke is going to kill us in this game. And we ended up coming back. Um, Elijah Hughes makes this insane buzzer beater from the other free throw line, which, you know, I said on the broadcast that it like curled around the scoreboard. I'm convinced, dude, maybe I was just seeing things. I'm convinced he put some English on that thing 
to make it bend around the scoreboard because Cameron's tiny. Like yeah. it's a small gym. It would have hit the scoreboard if he had shot it normally. I'm convinced about that. So anyway, that moment right there, Elijah Hughes making the buzzer beater and me believing that we could actually win that game. I think that was like the moment that stands out. And then we, you know, at Cameron Indoor Stadium, there are like six bathrooms. So we were, Noah and I were like trying to get to the bathroom ASAP and get back up to our broadcast booth. We ran into McDonough on the way to the bathroom and he was like, oh my God, did you see what Hughes did? You know, he's, he was telling us about like what he said on the broadcast. And it was just, you know, it was unbelievable that we could do that as college kids. Yeah. Like it, it just, it, it was insane and it was surreal. And then we ended up winning the game and it's just so much fun. And the best part, dude, is that I was with Noah the entire time. Okay. Like that's, that's one of the biggest things about my college experience is our class was loaded. Like there are so many talented dudes in our class and we're best friends to this day. And I think it would have been easy for us to get really competitive with each other. I think we were in a healthy way, but it never became about, I need to be better than Noah today, or I need to be better than Tyler or James or Fred or whoever, because we loved each other. We were competing with the other stations. You know, it was like a very healthy team environment and it, it didn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, And so I just feel very fortunate to have those guys in my life. And so the fact that I was down there with Noah made it super, super special. Yeah. And that's an awesome story. You're doing anchoring, reporting, all that. You also do some play-by-play for UAB and some of the local teams around there. Is your end goal, your next goal to get, because you mentioned earlier, your goal was to get play-by-play coming out of college. Do you want to eventually get back into that for a full-time job? Yeah. So like you mentioned, Harrison, right now I'm kind of doing full-time reporting, anchoring, part-time play-by-play in a perfect world. I'd like to flip those. You know, I, I still, I love doing the reporting and anchoring. It's super fun. You know, I've got a great job down here, but play-by-play is kind of my passion. And I, I think the reason for that is, you know, all of us kind of get into sports broadcasting because we love sports, but we weren't good enough to play. Right. I mean, you hit hit the nail on the head. Exactly. It's the next best thing. And I think the closest thing to playing a sport in broadcasting is play-by-play. I mean, you know, it's live. You're trying to follow the action. You can break a sweat if you really get into it. Like play-by-play is really fun for me. And so I I do want to get back into doing that. I think if, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I might have had maybe some more opportunities, but you know, it's okay. You know, I'm just grateful to have a full-time job talking sports, which, you know, again, the pandemic has thrown everything for a loop in that respect. So hopefully if everything gets back to normal, I can start doing a little more play by play, but you know, like, you know, like you said, right now I'm doing uh, UAB women's hoops, which is great. I really love that program. It's been really fun to get sort of on the inside of that program. Cause it's a, you know, it's a family first type deal and um, they've been super, super welcoming to me. And that's one of the reasons I love calling games is, you know, you can feel like you're part of a team again, which kind of goes back to playing sports and sort of trying to copy that just in a way where you don't have to actually play because we're not good enough. So yeah, play-by-play is kind of the end goal and we'll see what happens. I hope I can do a little bit of both. I, I definitely think you're on the right track. In your CBS 42 bio, it says you're a depressed Minnesota sports fan. <laughs> not, not to put salt in the wound, but which one hurts the most? Is it the, the Saints game in overtime? Is it the 31 point loss to the Eagles? Is it one I'm not mentioning? Which one hurts the most? Well, thanks for this, Harrison. I yeah, appreciate of course. It. Don't worry. The next question's better. <laughs> okay, good. Um, the one that hurts the most, the only time I've ever cried for a Minnesota sporting event was the first one you said, 
the okay. overtime bounty gate game. Keep that, that in true. mind. Bounty gate. Their head coach got suspended for an entire season. Um, their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, is like the laughing stock of the NFL. Yeah. Guys got fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. Our quarterback was 39. Okay. And the Saints basically treated him like a pinata. They were trying to take his head off. And by the time that game was coming down the stretch, remember Brett Favre, all he has to do is not throw it over the middle and get intercepted. And we win that game. We probably kick a field goal and we win in regulation. But instead, Favre throws that. Maybe it was overtime. I can't remember. Whatever. Favre throws that pick. And I think it was because he was woozy from getting absolutely abused for the entire game. And here's the thing, Harrison. The reason I cried for that game is we were the best team in the NFL that year. That was our best chance to win the Super Bowl. We probably would have beaten Indy in the Super Bowl, I think. Favre was like, Favre was in the time machine that year. That was, you could argue that was his best career season statistically. And our defense was disgusting that year. Like no one was scoring on us. So yeah, that was the hardest one because Hardly kicks the field goal. And I, I remember sitting there and crying for that. And that sort of made me numb to pain. Um, yeah. The Timberwolves, I'll never get my hopes. Literally never. They could go 82-0. and 0, And going into the playoffs, I would be like, all right, well, let's just see when. we. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, but the Vikings, though, you know, they have been good most of my life. It's just the heartbreak is just brutal. The the Blair Walsh field goal against Seattle. Oh, when it I was, forgot about that one. It was like negative 15 degrees. I was there. Oh, I was yeah. there. Me, my dad and I braved the cold weather for – three and a half hours 27 yard field goal yanks it left I remember I was sitting in the concourse and I just tweeted 27 yards dot 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 I was like how did that just happen how is this my life and then the Minneapolis miracle obviously I'm convinced we're a team of destiny after that happens we go to Philly and just get rocked and then they come win the Super Bowl in our house oh, your building. Oh. terrible so yeah there have been a lot of bad moments as a Vikings fan but at least they're not the Timberwolves because the Timberwolves are a complete joke. And they're my least favorite team in sports at this there point. There you go. I'll end it with this. You mentioned Noah Eagle earlier in the broadcast, one of your best friends in the world, your college colleague. He had the Nickelodeon call during the Saints Bears wild card game. Your thoughts when you first heard about what he was doing, and then your thoughts of the actual broadcast itself. Yeah, man. When I heard about that, I can't remember how I originally heard. I think I might have just heard on Twitter or something. And then, you know, we all texted him about it. But yeah, I mean, he's he was the perfect guy for that job. He is obviously young. He gets a lot of the Nickelodeon references that would hit for the for the target audience. You know, I think yeah. it it'd be one thing if like Jim Nance were calling that game on Nickelodeon. He might have Nickelodeon references, but from like 1970. <laughs> but Noah Noah gets the Nickelodeon current references that I mean, for people in like our generation, dude, they were hitting yeah. the nail on the head. Um, and I mean, he he just crushed it. Like we all were expecting him to crush it. And he did. He was so calm, cool, and collected. It was unbelievable. I mean, 2 million people watched that game, Harrison. And Noah. That was one of them. And I, yes, me too. I watched the entire thing. And Noah was, he was chill, man. And that, that's kind of what you expect. Like Noah, he's the real deal. And he, he brought it. And I think my favorite reference was when he said, this dude is hotter than a Peruvian puff pepper. That. Yeah. That really hit home for me because Drake and Josh was like one of my favorite shows growing up. So yeah, Noah, he's the truth, bro. That was amazing. So the thing that I that came out of me at most was it was at the end of the first half. I think it was Cordell Patterson came out and cursed. I forgot exactly what he said. 
But the way that Noah responded to it by like completely moving on, not like, you know, focusing on that, just quickly moving on as a young broadcaster, you know, some people would get caught up in something like that, but like to immediately flip the page on that was the thing that pointed out me the most. If you caught that. He's, he's so professional and he really is a spitting image of his dad. You know, yeah. people, people will hate on Noah for his last name. You know, he only got that job because of his dad, whatever. It's just so untrue. I mean, if you watch the Nickelodeon broadcast, you know that I honestly, bro, I don't think there's anyone in the world who would have been better suited for that job than Noah because he's, he's a pros pro broadcaster. So like when that Cordell Patterson thing happened, he had to move on. He had to still call the game. You know, that's what people forget. He, the references were amazing. He still had to call the game and he did like the professional that he is. But the only reason I bring up his dad is because he learned so much from his dad. He's just a sponge. And there's so much of Ian in Noah that it's no surprise that he's such an amazing broadcaster, but more importantly, an amazing dude. Like Noah and Ian are two of the best people you'll meet. And you could say the same thing for Elisa, Ian's wife, and Noah's mom, and Aaron, his sister. That's just a, a great family. So people ask me sometimes if I'm like jealous or super competitive with Noah. And the answer is like, yeah, I would have loved to call the Nickelodeon game in front of 2 million people. That would have been great. But I'm not jealous in a negative way because it couldn't happen to a better guy, seriously. And, and like I said, he he deserves it, man. Yep, that, that's honestly an awesome way to end this incredible podcast talking everything about Drew Carter's life from Alabama to Minnesota to Syracuse. Thank you, Drew, for coming on and talking. All things sports media, your sports coverage, and your entire job and all that. Thank you for having me, Harrison. This has been an absolute pleasure, but go Cuse. And if you want to transfer to the best journalism school in the country, I can put in a good word for you. All right. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> Huge thank you to Drew Carter for coming on and talking about his career in Alabama football and everything. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. Once again, a big thank you to Drew for coming on. Next up on the Harrison Vatnick podcast, we're bringing on the head coach of Marshall High School in Minnesota, Terry Ballman to talk about his experience coaching Trey Lance in high school. So we're going to talk a lot of things about Trey Lance as he enters the upcoming NFL draft. So stay tuned for that. And as always, have a great day. And we'll see you next time on the Harrison Dottenick Podcast. See ya.